0: This show was taped on Thursday morning, and we know that in the world of Elon Musk and Twitter, that is a long time and things may change. Okay, here's the show. Would you describe yourself as extremely online?
2: I would describe myself as too online and certainly extremely.
0: Alex Kushner is a contributing writer for Slate. And for the past several months, he's been covering Elon Musk's on again, off again, and finally on again purchase of Twitter. Like on a continuum of my father to Elon Musk, where would you put yourself?
2: Hopefully not too far beyond the median between those two. I like to think that I'm much less online than Elon Musk in that if I had his money, I don't think I would be online to the extent that he's online. At least I hope not, but... The tough thing about that is that I think my chances of ever finding out are slim.
0: In just a week of ownership, Elon Musk has managed to turn the temperature up on Twitter and make it even more contentious. What have you noticed most in the past week?
2: On the platform so far, the thing that I've noticed the most is that people are weirded out and a bit scared because a lot of us have put way too much of our online lives into this platform called Twitter and... There's been quite a bit of saber rattling from the one person who answers to nobody and is now in charge of it, and some signals, some statements from him that he's going to change Twitter in significant ways that most of us who spend a lot of time on Twitter doubt will actually make the platform better or more usable for most of us.
0: Today on the show, what Elon has wrought... And what he's planning for Twitter's users, whether they're too online or not. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is
2: moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers.
0: I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done
2: by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show.
0: There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok.
2: This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your
0: podcasts now. You can think of the changes that Elon Musk has made to Twitter so far as falling into one of two buckets, internal and external. On the internal front, that's mostly meant firings and resignations. At least five top executives are gone, including, of course, former CEO Parag Agrawal. The big names are supposed to get very generous severance packages, though Musk claims he fired them for cause, which could complicate things it's less clear what happens to regular employees who lose their jobs. And there could be a lot of them.
2: The latest number is half the staff. We'll see what it actually turns out to be. There's a general theory among a certain type of tech guy, of which he seems to be a part, and some of his co-investors and advisors are definitely a part, that believes that tech companies, as a rule, are badly overstaffed, that they just have too many people. And whether you think that's true or not, I would guess it's not. I don't think that publicly traded companies just load up on staff for no reason. Twitter is going to become a test case for that.
0: Let's talk about the people he is surrounding himself with, because I think that is sort of an interesting window into how he's thinking about this company. What can you tell us about them?
2: It's the kind of person that you would expect if you put just a composite image in your mind of... Who does the richest guy in the world surround himself with? One of the things that we learned from the lawsuit that Twitter and Musk were fighting each other in for months before this deal finally closed, before Musk caved, um, we learned through discovery that he has sort of a chorus of yes-men who are effectively cheerleaders who really enjoy being in the club with Elon Musk, whether for ego or financial reasons. Obviously, it, it can pay to be friends with one of the most influential people in the world and the wealthiest person in the world. So, uh, you know, and there are a couple of famous examples, um, representatives of like Andreessen Horowitz, which is a really famous firm uh, that invests in tech companies in San Francisco. The type of person who gets into a room with Elon Musk, from what we can tell, does not get there by saying, no, Elon, you're wrong. Your ego is driving these decisions. You've got to do things differently. From what we can tell from the text messages that were sent between Musk and a lot of these people, it's, Elon, man, this is great. Put me in coach. Like, you're going to save the world.
0: I don't need to see the due diligence. Go for it. Here's here's several million dollars.
2: Something to that effect. One of the things that I think we will find out is exactly how much pain the richest person in the world is willing to take financially on a deal where he admits he vastly overpaid for a company that is not worth what he paid for it.
0: There's been a decent amount of reporting that he he had this idea, or someone around him did, that he wanted the engineers to be prepared to discuss their last 50 days of code and, like, print it out on paper, and then, whoops, no, we don't want you to do that, actually, so shred that paper, we're going to look at it on a computer. But now, apparently, he's got other people looking at, at the code of the Twitter engineers, like, what why would you do that? What does that tell you about kind of the approach of coming into this company?
2: This is a tough one. I think one of the things that is interesting is that some of the people who he has had looking at Twitter code are Tesla engineers and coders. Hmm. You know, Elon has tended to get sued quite a bit by quite a few people. And you wonder if a Tesla shareholder might not like that the publicly traded company that they own a little piece of was sending people off to look at code for sort of a vanity project that musk bought for himself
0: let's talk about the big external moves or moves with external ramifications i think they're two very visible ones verification and content moderation so by the time of our taping musk seems to have settled on the idea of eight dollars a month for verification and he tweeted That if you pay that, you also get priority in replies, mentions, and search, um, ability to post long video and audio, half as many ads, and a paywall bypass for publishers willing to work with us. And and this will also give Twitter a revenue stream to reward content creators. As a business proposition, it doesn't sound like a terrible idea. Like, if you evaluate it purely from a money-making standpoint, I don't know. It's not awful.
2: No, there have been more insane business ideas than charging eight bucks a month for a thing that is desirable. And in in different ways, Twitter verification is desirable and this quote-unquote priority are desirable. I'm not sure how many people care about the ability to post longer videos or about uh, potentially the paywall bypass with publishers, but the verification piece of it is... Interesting, and I think interesting in a bad way.
0: Hmm, what do you mean?
2: Twitter verification has become certainly a very high school clicky kind of thing. It's a status signifier. Many of us who have verified Twitter accounts, and I do myself, aren't at much risk of being impersonated.
0: Right, like, I don't think anyone wants to be me on Twitter.
2: Right. I I don't know that I've ever had someone pretend to be me on Twitter I doubt it. That's probably flattering to myself to think that there have been fake Alex's out there. It just – it is true that Twitter verification has become something in a lot of places that it's not really supposed to be. But what it is supposed to be is still really important and that is a signifier that the account that is tweeting is A, authentically a person in those cases where someone would be subject to imposters and B, a general kind of implicator of trust – a a general signifier of trust that this is an account that has been looked at and that is on Twitter to share sort of a nebulously nebulously defined, credible message.
0: But of course, if anyone can pay $8 a month to grant themselves that signifier of authenticity, then the original premise of the blue check immediately falls apart.
2: Yeah, it could really become a cutting off your nose, spiting your face situation. Of course, as Elon Musk has said, Twitter needs to find a way to make money. But the problem is that the fundamental reason that a lot of people come to Twitter before they get addicted and just become hopelessly online and can't leave is that they think Twitter is a place to get good information. If you think about the less internet, less Twitter addicted people in your life, when they check out Twitter, if they consider joining it, what are the first accounts they follow? A lot of the times it's news organizations, it's a couple of reporters. They want to know that there is at least some veneer of integrity, legitimacy. And if that's for sale, then the check mark almost stops giving any of that legitimacy at all. And someone might start to wonder, is the information I'm getting on Twitter even that good? Can I trust it? And that's a fundamental problem. If you want Twitter to be seen as a reliable place to get information, it is easy to imagine how that could become something that advertisers who at last check are worth about 90 cents out of every dollar Twitter makes. It might affect how they like to feel about spending time on on the platform. And you could just imagine this being a problem in a lot of ways. It also might look pretty embarrassing to keep paying for verification, I It might become the kind of thing where it doesn't look very metal. It doesn't look very...
0: It's a little thirsty.
2: It's a little thirsty to pay for verification. I've thought about it just in the last couple of days. I work for myself. I'm a freelancer, and I wonder if I will need the quote-unquote priority thing. All in all, I just think it might be a chaotic and unproductive change to the usability experience of Twitter.
0: As a thought experiment... Could a bunch of people pay $8 and be Elon
2: Musk? Of course they could. Although it wouldn't surprise me if Elon Musk made some special feature so that nobody could call themselves Elon or Musk with the blue check mark. He actually has said that people already do this, that people already try to impersonate him because someone posed this exact question to him on Twitter. Um, And they might, but they probably don't do it very effectively because most people just know who Elon Musk is and because... It's hard to do it with the blue check mark, because Twitter has the verification process that it does.
0: Does Elon Musk not get the trust signifier thing, or does he not care? Or is he catering to the and I'm, I'm using very heavy air quotes here, kind of "Oh, blue check marks, anti-elite thing?"
2: I also think that Elon Musk's Twitter experience and that of his friends and advisors is much, much, much different. Then A, yours or mine, or B, especially just a typical Twitter user who does not use the platform professionally and just wants to be there to have a good time and get information. And what I mean by that is Elon Musk has over 100 million Twitter followers, I think. Yep. Elon can look at his Twitter mentions after he tweets anything. It could be a picture of a sandwich and see an absolute cesspool of thousands, tens of thousands even hundreds of thousands of nonsensical, hard to parse, and and probably some nice, funny, smart replies to his tweets. But if you have an account that big, I imagine that Twitter is very hard to use. It's very hard to sift, to sift through. And he can look at that and think, well, what do we need? We need, in addition to I need to make money because I paid $44 billion or paid for a $44 billion company that isn't really worth $44 billion, he might think that what Twitter needs is some order to be installed. Hmm. And I think the experience for some of his very rich, very big platformed advisors is similar. Twitter just looks different to them. So you combine that with a general feeling that you are the smartest guys in the room, which I'm sure they do, and with a bit of a touch of financial desperation because you know you overpaid for something that doesn't make that much money, and you get stuff like this.
0: Yeah, I mean I've seen David Sachs and Eric Voorhees, two, you know, investors who who are who are friendly with him. David Sachs is in the room making some of these decisions, apparently. Um, they're both backing this this idea.
2: And that's not surprising. I don't think that the number of rich tech guys who are not backing anything Elon Musk does with Twitter is very big. He sort of has the backing of this group for a few reasons. Because there's sort of a cult of personality around Elon Musk in the first place, and because it's better for business to be on his team than publicly against him.
0: When we come back, what can people say on Twitter before the midterms? The other big change this week is in content moderation. And in our last Twitter-related show, we we did note that Musk seems to be taking some steps to try to prevent advertisers from completely freaking out. He, he you know, seems to understand that he needs to have some content moderation, but he froze access to an internal content moderation tool or or really narrowed it down. And, you know, the company has said that's just about this this sort of transition period. We don't want it to be too chaotic. But I wonder what you make of that.
2: It strikes me as an obvious problem. If you do not empower your staff to quickly get rid of things that could be big problems for people's safety on Twitter, then Twitter stops being a safe place for people to operate, to share their work, to exist on the internet. There are already examples of this that reporters at outlets like the Washington Post, for instance, have talked about. Um, one who I know, a, a college, uh, someone I know from where we both went to college, uh, Robert Klimko is a reporter for the Washington Post. And he shared after this came out that, you know, he had posted about, he had written a story some, some time ago about an NFL player who had harassed someone who had accused him of sexual misconduct. And then accounts started popping up, posting phone numbers, addresses for his loved ones. And Twitter just knocked him out like whack-a-mole. If that's gone, this reporter was pointing out, then Twitter is just not a hospitable place to do the kind of work that he does. And not only is it difficult for journalists to operate that way, but obviously advertisers who do not want to run their ads against a cesspool aren't going to like that in the long run either. And I think Elon knows that, which is why he was sort of on a charm offensive with Twitter's advertising community even before this deal closed. But it's critical. And you know to whatever extent Elon Musk wants to roll back content moderation to serve some vague idea of quote unquote free speech that exists opposite the desire of the advertising world to have a safe happy fuzzy place to run ads
0: yeah i mean it's it's striking that racial slurs in particular the n-word skyrocketed when he took over but at the same time, Twitter said, look, that was a targeted trolling campaign and Musk himself had a meeting with the, the heads of several civil rights groups. It, it feels like there's this kind of fascinating duality here where he's aware that this is a problem, but then he tweeted and deleted a conspiracy theory about Paul Pelosi. Like I, It seems really hard to figure out and parse where he is on this.
2: Well, this is the problem with making an impulsive and bad decision to buy Twitter, period, but especially for way more money than it's worth. It's really hard for this to work out well for him. Twitter is a miserable place to run. I would never want to be in charge of it, even for free. It is extremely difficult for Twitter to make money in a way that is proportional to its societal influence, if you will, um, because it does not have as many users as Facebook, for instance. It has... Big usership among sort of the quote unquote elite class of society, you know, media, politics, tech, you know, those types of people. Sure, they're on Twitter, but Twitter has never printed money. In fact, in its last public quarter, it lost a ton of money. And the way to make money for Twitter historically has been almost entirely advertising. To make advertising money, you cannot have your platform be a cesspool, a playground for neo Nazis, whatever you would call it. You can't have it be a place where anything goes and where harassment, abuse, etc., are commonplace. It just doesn't work because the big companies that advertise with Twitter or have historically aren't cool with that for obvious reasons. It doesn't look good for Coca-Cola to have an ad show up in your Twitter timeline and then someone is saying the N-word or a gay slur, two tweets above it. It's the fundamental issue of why you need content moderation to make money with a social media company. And unfortunately, Elon Musk, when he was buying Twitter, raised a lot of people's expectations on the right, particularly, that he was buying it to roll that back because it is, in his view, biased against conservatives. You can see the pickle that he created entirely for himself.
0: Musk seems to understand that everybody wants to know what content moderation is going to look like, especially since the midterm elections are only days away. This week, he tweeted that Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. And he added that no major content decisions or decisions about reinstatements will happen before that group meets, which seems to imply nothing earth-shattering before Tuesday.
2: There is one particular banned Twitter user who Elon Musk has said in the past he would like to have back on Twitter, believes should be unbanned. That's obviously our most recent president. And I am not sure where that will actually go now that Elon Musk is legitimately in charge of Twitter instead of just talking from the peanut gallery. Gets a little bit tougher when you are actually the one signing the checks and responsible for the gains and losses. And there will again be advertisers, users who find it unattractive if Donald Trump is allowed back on Twitter. Donald Trump might not want to come back on Twitter because Donald Trump, by the way, has started his own social media company that technically exists and is at least nominally a company. And you understand with him, you know, it may or may not be entirely on the level as a long-term business, but a lot of questions about uh, the process that Musk will undertake to decide whether people are allowed back on and specifically how that might apply to the most famous force in our politics.
0: Already, advertisers are showing some skittishness. General Motors temporarily suspended advertising on Twitter. And The New York Times reported that the firm IPG, which is one of the world's biggest ad companies, was advising its clients to pause their Twitter ads. Elon has now got this pinned tweet saying, and it's a poll, advertisers should support and the choices are freedom of speech and political correctness. Um, And what I can't tell is whether that's like a feint, if that's if that's something he's putting up to satisfy the people who want to see him, you know, support their vision of quote unquote free speech, or if it's really how he thinks about advertising. I wonder where you think that shakes out.
2: I think that he needs to throw some bones or thinks he needs to throw some bones to the very annoying parts of the online right who he sort of had a flirtatious affair with back in the spring when he was buying Twitter. I suspect that he knows that he is going to disappoint those people quite a bit, Because in order to make this investment come even close to working for himself, he cannot just let Twitter fall into whatever these people want it to be. It doesn't work.
0: And he's got a billion bucks a year in debt service alone.
2: Exactly. I mean, the the debt service payments that Twitter and Musk, you know, Twitter and Musk are now one and the same, are going to have to pay because of the financing he took out for this deal, are a huge percentage in recent years, more than half of what Twitter profits in a year.
0: You have a line from one of your pieces that really stuck with me. Um, You said, nobody else knows if the libertarian or capitalist part of Elon Musk's brain will win out in his decision making about Twitter's future. And I wonder, based on what you've seen this week and and in the run up here, you want to hazard a guess about which part wins.
2: I think the capitalist part wins. I think he's going to try not to tank his investment. He has too many incentives not to. I think the biggest one being that so much of Elon Musk's net worth, his wealth as the richest person on the planet, is A, officially it's rooted in Tesla stock. But that stock especially, why is Tesla stock so expensive? Why is Why is the price of it so high? Why is Elon Musk worth so much money? And it's partially because electric vehicles are are on the rise, sure, but there's a lot of electric vehicle vehicle companies. I think the real reason that that stock is so high and that he's so rich is that Elon has made a lot of people think, whether it's true or not, that he is a -a one-of-a-kind business visionary and that he has the keys and knows the answers and has the magic touch to make great companies that charge into the future and are sort of at the vanguard of American innovation. That's the vision that he sells of himself. And if Twitter goes into the tank because he lets it turn into this playground for the far right and advertisers flee and people don't want to pay for premium services there and it all goes south, yeah, he'll lose the better part, a significant part of a $44 billion investment, most of which came out of his pocket, absolutely. And that's bad. Even, even the richest person in the world doesn't want to lose billions of dollars. But it also would just puncture this image of him as someone who knows what he's doing in a way that nobody else in the business world can replicate. If Twitter becomes a smoldering crater, that hurts him. And I think he knows that. The question is whether the things he does to try to make money are actually going to work and allow Twitter to stay a good place to spend time. And on that, I don't know.
0: Alex Kirshner, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you for having me. It was great to be with you.
0: Alex Kirshner is a contributing writer for Slate and co-host of the college football podcast Split Zone Duo. And that is it for our show today. What Next TVD is produced by Madeline Ducharme. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership with Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of this show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. You get all of your lovely Slate podcasts without ads. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.